Welcome to the Wretched Hive Podcast. I got a bad feeling about this. Moss Eisley Spaceport. What are you talking about? You will never find the more wretched hive of scum and villainy. This is ridiculous. We must be cautious. Actually, we're just a bunch of guys talking about Star Wars and other stuff. I'm looking forward to having some real talk with some real folks. That's good news. I like the sound of that. And welcome back, faithful listeners. If it is the day of the week, then you have found the Wretched Hive podcast recorded here a couple of days before you're listening to it. You were not listening to Steve Baldwin as the host, however, though, because Steve is not around. We've hijacked this, and it is myself, Dave Potter, Scott Ivansky, and the Millennial Falcon, Nico Rodriguez himself. Uh, we have decided that three of us constitute a quorum, and we are recording a damn show. We don't need Steve or Greg. F those guys. We, we, we literally lost Greg. He's like in limbo. And I think we've banished Steve to Florida. Is that is that correct? Is that what? Yeah, I mean? no, Steve got banished to Florida straight up. Just <laughs> yeah. Steve, Steve got banished and Greg should have taken the left turn at Albuquerque. It's all good. It'll be fun. It's going to be all a fun right, one. So tonight. This is I, I, I think this is the first time it's just been the three of us, though. I think, I think so. we've always we've always had a show where it, either Steve or Greg is present. So I think this is the first time that this particular mixture has happened of the five of us. You know what this means? This means we're taking over the damn show. We are going to just take this to all new heights. We these we don't need these guys anymore. Come on, let's do this. Let's be wait. Let's be real. None of us knows how to upload the show. We need Steve. And, oh, uh, Shit. You know, yeah, and, and, and as long as we actually record the show, we are at least equal to Steve's production values that he brings to the show. So, <laughs> yep. hey, so we're doing good. We're so doing we're, good. So we're doing good. So tonight we're here to catch up a bit. Uh, we're going to do a three episode recap. So it's going to be a little lighter recap than normal about Moon Knight. We uh, life has really been hitting the Wretched Hive uh, podcast true hard the last couple of weeks. And it, it's unfortunate because I, I think we've all been enjoying the heck out of this show yeah. and we want to get together to talk about it. It's just not been not been easy to get the schedules to align with enough people to make it worthwhile. I'm, and, I'm we're, actually... we're, we're, and we're also entering just real quick before I jump in, Scott, we're entering this really cool period where a lot of stuff is going on. Right. We have Moon Knight going on right now. Yep. Uh, Stranger Things season four is about to drop. Uh, Better yep. Call Saul, the final season is about to drop. Uh Ozark, the final season, is going to drop in, in 30 days, and in about 35, 40 days, we're going to get Obi-Wan. So there, there's a lot of damn good television to watch right now. Good stuff. Really good stuff out there. Yes. And I'm, and I'm sorry, I totally interrupted you. We were going to talk about Moon Knight and uh, just general enjoyment of it, I think. I'm just, I'm shocked it's taken us this long. I know I know life gets in the way. I know you mentioned that, but it's, it is really, um, you know, it's a great show so far. I'm enjoying the hell out of it. Uh, still, I'm more shocked after three episodes that this show is on the air. I, I just can't believe Marvel went down this road. It's it's a very interesting character and, uh, and a show to present. But I, I think I see where it might be going and how it's going to connect to these these next series of films. So I'm, I'm excited to talk about this, Dave. So I, I am too. And, and that's a segue into kind of the, the bro- a broader point that I wanted to talk about as a group for Moon Knight, which is Marvel has done this before, where they've taken kind of a, a C-list character or grouping of characters and turned it into a successful property. But Moon Knight 
is is probably the the lowest echelon character that they have kind of plucked out of the catalog of intellectual property and and elevated up. And I was a bit nervous looking at this going in, and, and I'm just. And I'm enjoying the hell out of it like you guys, but I'm kind of curious. I, I don't have a, a deep knowledge, let alone love or affinity for the character of Moon Knight. And it's probably the first Marvel Cinematic Universe property that I can I can say that about. But I, I think we're all kind of a little bit like Steve Baldwin is here and that we're, we're approaching this with kind of fresh eyes and not overly educated eyes on the character. Or am I, am I alone on that? I think the most... Uh, interaction or, or or exposure to Moon Knight that the uh, majority of people would have had is uh, there's a <laughs> there's a fun little meme of uh, the Moon Knight and it's it's him throwing some of his his weapons and it's just a single panel and the speech bubble says random bullshit go. And I've seen it as a meme so many times. And I'm pretty sure that is like the majority of people just know, hey, that's Moon Knight, random bullshit, go. And at this point, I also kind of feel like that's Disney's take on on the MCU. And even though it's working and it's great, we're getting a Moon Knight TV show and a Miss Marvel is coming soon. Like random bullshit, go but we're giving them our money and it's we're getting great results out of it. So, I mean, I don't think they can be mad at it, but you know, Hey, well, here we are to, to jump on Nico's train of thought there. It's funny though. And and I'm going to, I'm going to steer away for a second just because of something he said. Yes, it is. It's random bullshit. They're throwing in the air, but isn't it amazing that no matter what they do, Disney, it sticks. Um, unlike you know we've had many discussions about dc and dc just can't get it right they just can't get things going minus the fact that i'll I'll give them credit for the second suicide squad movie and the peacemaker series they just can't get their bearings straight and here disney's like you know what let's just totally mess with the you know our our opposition here and throw a moon knight series out there and my god if it isn't a really fun and I don't want to say great series, but there are some great things that are happening that are moving this entire cinematic universe and television universe forward. So I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy to see it happening. But on your point, real quick, Dave, um, I'm almost in the same boat. I did jump onto the Moon Knight bandwagon. I think it was around 1989. I bought the new number one issue that, that came out at the time. And tried to follow it and got a little bit into it, but it was just so different. It was just, it didn't stick to me like a Daredevil or a Spider-Man or, or something to that effect. And eventually I dropped off the series and I knew a little bit about him and that was it. So, yeah. That's totally fair. And I was going to say, my, my exposure to Moon Knight was, uh, he was a member of the Avengers, the West Coast Avengers for- yes like a year and a half, two years tops. And that's the most familiarity I have with it. Nico, I have not seen the meme you're referencing, but I'm laughing because I'm pretty sure I've seen that panel. I think that's a staple of Moon Knight on the attack, getting over his head, just throws all the shit that he has at the guy at once. <laughs> yeah, like no, that's great. I'm trying to find like it. Batman emptying it. the utility belt or something and, and just seeing what happens. 
So two real quick connections, Dave, that we, we're going to have to talk about that because that does come up in uh, episode three, which is a definite reference to that meme and that panel of him just throwing all his shit out there. So it, it, uh, it may well be. It may well be. But we're, we're getting a little ahead of ourselves. But right. what, uh, two things I wanted to share. One is a fun fact that might that might appeal to Scott. Um mm-hmm. So Moon Knight is not known for having a lot of high-level talent that's worked on him as a character over the years. I mean, he did have Bendis and Believe do a, a series about 10 years ago, but that series didn't even make it, I think, two years. Oh. Uh, he did, the artist, though, Bill Sienkiewicz, oh. worked on Moon Knight, on the original Moon Knight series run back in the early 80s. Yeah. Uh, and that was even before Bill was had risen to prominence as an artist in the comic book industry. But here's a fun fact for you. John Byrne was recruited to oh. come on to the Fantastic Four and try to save it. And he came on as a writer artist for Fantastic Four with issue 232. Bill Sykowitz was originally supposed to be the artist who worked with John Byrne on that run. And he couldn't because of his Moon Knight obligations. <laughs> so just for, you know, comic book aficionado fans out there, that Byrne run on Fantastic Four is legitimately legendary that he did as a writer artist and and is credited with kind of bringing them back into prominence as, as, you know, big time characters in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But man, how different would it have been if Bill Sienkiewicz, who has an incredibly distinctive and shall we say odd art style, if he had been paired with Byrne to work on Marvel's first family instead of Byrne coming in and and going just mad Kirby-esque on it. I, uh, it's hard to even, I didn't even know where to begin with all of that because there's so many greats right there. <clears throat> yes. The burn run on, on fantastic four is, is fantastic by all means. Um, but psychoids, God, I'm stumbling on his name there. Um, being on the moon Knight series in that time frame is amazing because he was also doing artwork for a very young uh, Stephen King at the time for a lot of his novels. He would insert pieces of artwork in chapters just to give you an idea of what uh, uh, Stephen King's visions were in some of his novels at the time. So I got hooked into him, not through comics, but actually through Stephen King. And when I found out that he did comics and just oddball stuff like that, it was a draw for me. So what a great connection right there. I love that. Thanks for throwing that out there. That, that was a fun fact that I just learned uh, about a week ago. The other thing that I was kind of pondering, though, just about Moon Knight was uh, I, by happenstance, I watched the original Guardians of the Galaxy movie uh, yeah. from Marvel from 2014. And it kind of struck me and it took me back that Moon Knight is, has some very broad commonality with that Guardians of the Galaxy project in that that was a phase two Marvel project. And it was the only one where you were like, huh? When it was announced, like, where, where did that come from? Like, we recognize Thor. We recognize Captain America. We recognize Iron Man, who at the time were considered second-tier characters for Marvel, but now have been elevated in our first-tier characters. But mm. Guardians of the Galaxy, it was like, wait, where did that come from? That's out of nowhere. Yeah. And it was a smash, smash success and really widened what the Marvel Cinematic Universe was and could do at that time. And I do feel like Moon Knight, <clears throat> is kind of trending along the same way. It's it's just out of left field compared to what all the other projects are that Marvel's doing. You can kind of see where they they branch off from the existing story that we have right now. And Moon Knight oh, is yeah. just kind of out there 
on its own. And I'm actually loving it because that combined with my lack of familiarity with the character, it, it's, I'm kind of able to just watch and not be constantly digging for Easter eggs or, or any of that stuff. Cause I just, I don't know enough about the character to do that. I'm just watching and getting engrossed by the story and the characters. And that's really what it's supposed to be. And that's, so, do you yeah, think I'm yeah. off base? Do you guys think I'm off base on that or, or, Oh, no, no. I, you know, it's a, it's a great point, Dave. I actually think it, it, what you're saying is it rings true probably for a lot of people. However, knowing a little bit of backstory on Moon Knight, what I'm seeing is it, it, your connection to Guardians of the Galaxy is brilliant because I think there's something bigger going on there, um, which might be coming down the road this year. Um, and Moon Knight is one of those things, just like Guardians, I agree with you 100%, is like, a lot of people are like, what? Like, and I, I, let's get something. Let's, let's just put this out there right now. I heard a lot of talk about Moon Knight being the Marvel's Marvel Cinematic Universe's version of Batman. That needs to drop right away. There right is, away. That, I, I, I see what the people think they see in it, but there's so much more to this character. And the connections to another extension of the Marvel Cinematic Universe is coming and i think moon knight links that to quite a few properties but some big ones coming up and one that's already technically well yeah one that's been introduced in the eternals so there is a major connection if you watch the eternals to the very end there is a uh, final scene with uh, kit harrington right plays uh black knight hey, and Dave whitman a- slash the black knight and he right. encounters blade blade so you do hear Blade's voice talking to him through the sword or, or with the sword present coming alive. There is a major, major connection to Blade and Moon Knight. And I think that's what we're starting to see are all these properties are getting these little sub hubs that are all going to eventually connect through phase four. And I think beyond to phase five. So and, I'm ex- and, and it's possible. And rewatching Guardians, the original Guardians of the Galaxy, I was struck by how much information was put in there that was that paid off later on. Like that was the yeah. first movie that really broke down what the Infinity Stones were and kind of laid out where some of them were and gave a backstory. And it was also the first mention and appearance of the Celestials, which I had completely forgot. Yeah. I'm like, oh, my God, the Celestials are there. And that doesn't really pay off until the Eternals in 2021, seven years later. Look at that. Right. What was the, it was uh, Nowhere, right? No, the head. Of- no, Nowhere, but also the collector, when he's talking about how Infinity Stones are used, he references the Celestials ah. as a group that use the Infinity Stones. And he shows, here, here's a Celestial. Look, he's decimating the planet. Look at that. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. right. That's right. They do show a scene. My God. Yeah. I, I really feel that Moon Knight is setting us up for something major happening right now in fact when we get to the breakdowns of each one of the episodes there is something major major that happens in episode three that we need to discuss but uh i can't wait so yeah so speaking of that because we want to keep these shows something that people will be able to listen to without you know wrecking their car or wanting to wreck their car because they're so (laughs) bored listening to us We're, we're going we're gonna to start moving through the episodes. Normally, Steve, our producer, does a lot of work preparing notes. I have done absolutely nothing, and I am blatantly cribbing these from Wikipedia. So I just want to do that to give credit so that we don't get sued, meaning I don't get sued. <laughs> That's so all good. I'm going to kind of read along with the summary here, and you guys can, can jump in. 
uh, with, if you want to comment on something, or I will stop if I see something that I want to comment on. So the first episode is the goldfish problem, which might be my favorite episode title for a TV show in a long time. And we start off with a national gallery in England, national, and I, I added that Wikipedia, sorry, I'm editing this for you on the fly. National gallery employee, Stephen Grant suffers from blackouts. And after going to sleep one night, he wakes up in the Austrian Alps. Grant witnesses a cult meeting led by Arthur Harrow, played by, uh, Ethan uh, what's, yeah, Ethan Hawke, who demands a scarab Grant unknowingly has in his possession. He has several more blackouts and hears a mysterious voice in his head as he attempts to escape before waking up in his house. Grant realizes that two days have passed since he went to sleep, during which his goldfish was replaced and he missed a date. So that tells us where the title of the episode comes from, The Goldfish Problem. Yeah. And that sums up a lot of really intricately done, well, intricate might be overstating it, but really well done storytelling and organizing to introduce us to this character who has a, a disassociative... Uh, identity disorder. Yes. Identity disorder, thank you. Yeah which is a kind of a fancy way of saying multiple personalities. Basically it is. Yeah. It's just evolved into that. But yes, that is, yeah. that is correct. Um, and we're, and I, we're seeing this episode pretty much from the Stephen Grant persona. That is correct. Which um, is now, one of a few personas that this body inhabits. Yeah. So I want to, I want to start off uh, and, and if Nico, I hope I didn't st step over you here for a second, but I do want to nope, jump in. Good. Um, I, I sent out a message to you guys. I'm going to clarify what that message meant. There was something extremely personal with this first episode, which rang so true to me. Um, and I'm going to give a little bit of the backstory as fast as I can, but here's the catch. So a lot of the stuff we saw in the previews building up to the release of the series, we got to see in this episode, which was the character um, Oscar Isaac uh, plays um, Stephen Grant. He plays another character as well. We'll get to that in a second. Um, he has this disorder um, and he's waking up where he's chained himself to his bed. There's uh, uh, piles of sand around his bed to make sure that if anything's happening, he's having these blackout moments that he is um, basically keeping himself in check to make sure he's going to be okay. If he's seen footprints in the sand and all this stuff, the funniest part of all of this with these moments is and this is what I didn't get a chance to talk to you guys about is when he wakes up, there is an amazing pop song that is playing from the 1960s, the late 1960s. Actually, it's more like a, uh, a famous Vegas crooner and it is Engelbert Humperdinck's A Man Without Love. And the funny thing is, is for me personally, I grew up, my mother actually has a major backstory, back history with this whole Engelbert Humperdinck character. And this song is perfect. The lyrics fit the moment. He's having sleep problems. He's, but it's all based off of love, which does kind of come into the series with a love interest later. And I just, I, I was immediately just like swallowed up by the show. The show just had me at that. I'm like, I thought I'd never in my life would I hear an Engelbert Humperdinck song in anything I ever liked. And here they're using it in a Marvel show, and it was just brilliantly used. So that's how I got hooked. I was wondering where you were going with that, Scott. That was a I was like a Gilbert Gottfried joke. There was a lot of buildup, but there was a payoff at the end. So so I love it. Rest in peace, Gilbert Gottfried. Yeah. Too soon. Affleck. Too soon. But yes, I really enjoyed the fact that I had that personal connection to it. I like 
how they did this. Um, if you do know anything about the characters that he, the character of Moon Knight uh, in the comics represents, they do have a character named Stephen Grant, but the character is a little bit different. And this is where I love that we divulge from the Batman in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. The Stephen Grant character in the comics is a billionaire. And in this, he's just this kind of lowly, almost kind of homely, pathetic guy who works at a museum. But that pays off. Like there's some serious knowledge that he has that is going to be used later in this show. Yeah. And, and that's where it, it, the comics have kind of been all over the place, I think, right? Because Mark, Spe- Mark Spector, one of the personalities, and I think the most well known personality yes. of Moon Knight is supposed to be a, a billionaire like Bruce Wayne and, and just, just have all the shit. Um, all, all of the shit is his. It's, and then it's isn't actually, Stephen Grant kind of like the, the street level cab driver person to get that information? Or did I flip them somehow? You you flipped them. So hold on. So Mark Spector. All is, right. I'm talking to the same person so I can call whoever I want. Right. So the Mark Spector character <laughs> in the comics. <laughs> Mark Spector in the comics. I'm, an ass, I'm sorry. <laughs> he's the mercenary. <laughs> he's the mercenary with the military background. Stephen Grant is the billionaire. And there is another character. Actually, there's five personalities in the comics there's another one i think i think the next one that we're going to be seeing is jacob 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 that's what i was thinking of sorry yeah 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 so so i was going to say what one and nico i want to make sure i'm not just trampling on you but no you're good no that was okay i i loved the setup of this because it's it's kind of bringing you in to that here's a guy who is just having a lot of things happen to him that he is not in control of, right? Like that's, that's the basic setup of this. Yeah. And that's basically all of us when you boil it down, right? We, we all have that feeling that there are all these things happening to us that are out of our control. It's just, his are very extreme, but it makes him for someone who has a very, uh, this, this affliction that hits a small percentage of the population. It makes it very accessible in that way. in that his, he feels not in control of his life because we all feel that way to a certain extent. And I read an interview with, I don't remember if it was the director or the showrunner, and I apologize to that individual for not being able to cite this correctly, but there is a scene when he misses the date. And that's a key part in this because he loses two days. He goes to sleep. One of the other personalities takes over, goes off, has the adventure. He wakes up and he's lost two days, but he doesn't realize it's two days. So he shows up for a date on Friday and it's Sunday. Right. I think and my favorite he, part of that whole thing is best steak dinner you could have. He doesn't remember talking to this girl, setting up this date. This persona is a vegan. Yeah. He's yes. promised us <laughs> the best steak dinner he could possibly promise. Uh, and I, I just, I think that's hilarious. I yeah, think it's no, even more than he, that. Yeah. So, but that's the thing. That's a scene that the the director or the showrunner had to fight to keep in with with Marvel higher ups because they wanted to lose it because there's nothing really happening there. But his point was, no, this is everything. This is a definitional moment for the character. He's a vegan. He went to a steakhouse and he doesn't know how to order a steak because he's vegan. He is not in control of his life. He does not know what's happening or going on with him. Mm-hmm. And I, the second I read that, I was like, my God, that is so brilliant. I loved and, it. And and not only is it written or the a concept is brilliant, but Oscar Isaac, Isaacs plays that off 
so good. I love when the waiter's sitting there, he's like, well, we're going to be closing soon. He's like, okay, well, just, just give me the steak. And he's yeah, like, well, what, what cut? And he's like, the, the, the best. best, the best cut. And well, how would you like that cooked? And I just, the steak, I'll just take the steak, the best cut steak. And I'm just like, oh my God, a vegan would not know all the yeah. different little intricate moments <laughs> of a steak. Now it's cooked. I just love that. And, and I, I, Nico, I did think of you watching that scene. So I just know, I know you, you are a cook, sir. So for him to just like completely be fumbling that, I can oh, just yeah. imagine no, you like, like, look, buddy, I just want to place the order and get the fuck out of here. It's closing time. Okay. Oh, Come on. Sir, I'll yeah. place the order. Yes. Uh, we'll get you a Chateaubriand. Like, oh, you're going to have a filet mignon. Well done. Oh yeah. Probably. Well done, sir. Yes. Good job. <laughs> well done. The most expensive thing you can buy and then turn it into a hockey puck. Yes. Oh, I'm proud of you. Yeah. That's tough. <laughs> All right. Oh All right. So, so now Grant is really realizing that things are, are going bad for him. So he goes back to his apartment. He's looking around and he finds a hidden phone and a key card in his apartment and receives a call from his most frequent number in the phone's call log, a woman named Layla, who addresses him as Mark. So there's a lot there in that sentence, but it overlooks one of the few Easter eggs that I actually caught Okay. In this in this show is when he's scrolling through the list of numbers on that oh. old flip phone. It's like 47 mentions of Layla and there's one other name in there. Yeah. And that other name was Frenchie. Yeah. Frenchie is Moon Knight's sidekick from the comic book. That's right. That's right. Like the pilot of the Mooncopter, among other things, if I remember correctly which makes him automatically a better sidekick than Alfred because Alfred didn't fly no freaking helicopter for Batman. No, I know. Just saying. <laughs> yeah. Just yeah. saying. And by the way, Batman is psychotic. He's an individual who had a psychotic break and <laughs> fights crime. He is not crazy like Moon Knight is. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I, I love a lot of that stuff. There's also another character that Moon Knight, again, what's brilliantly done about this show right out the gate is how we talked about this i think going into it when we saw the trailer um how reflections are being used in this show there's mirrors yes. there's yeah. water all that stuff but there are clear moments where it looks like he could be having conversations with himself or they're like he does talk to his mother at one point actually he talks to his mother's voicemail this could be a sign that th that character doesn't really exist and the one person he finds as a friend is this guy who's in a park, who's a statue, um, who's a painted gold statue. And all he does is pose with people so they could take photos of him in the park because he's one of those character people like, you know, like we have out here on Hollywood Boulevard with Spider-Man and Batman and all these random uh, uh, mm -hmm. comic book characters. But, you know, I love the moment because he's having a full conversation with somebody who's not responding to him. Who's not giving him the answers. He's just coming up with the answers himself. The funny thing is, is that character looks like a character from the comic books and it's, it, yeah, it is a character from the comic books. They've, they've confirmed that. And I forget the name, but that is an actual character from the comics, the gold statue guy. Yeah. Hmm. You know, the whole time he was talking to that guy, <clears throat> and then even right up to the end when he's like, all right, well, I got to go, you know, like, uh, it's been great, you know, being your friend and blah, blah, blah. Uh, I was like really expecting some sort of reaction out of that guy. And he literally just sat there and stared off into nothingness. I was like, really, you're yeah, not going to give us anything. 
like not a single blink to say that you, you know, exist or that you recognize anybody. Like he just, he just sat there. Well, which, which is really funny because I think by episode two, he does get a reaction out of them and he doesn't see it. And I think that's a, a, a wonderful moment in this show. Yes. The, the character's name is Crawley in the comic books. I had to do a quick little search on that. Um, but that is a real character from the, the comics. So Dave, I mean, you nailed that. That's awesome. The internet is my friend. I, I look. I know very, very little about Moon Knight. So if you think I am saying anything intelligent about Moon Knight, I promise you, it's because I looked it up on the internet. It's not something that was <laughs> that was in my head before this show aired. All right. So the next. All right. So he gets a call from Layla, who calls him Mark, which is odd, right? Because he his name is Stephen, as far as he knows. Yes. Mm-hmm. All right. So the next day at work, Grant is confronted by Harold who reveals that he is a servant of the Egyptian goddess Amit. And then later that night, Harrow summons an animus-associated jackal creature that attacks Grant at the museum. So i got to pause you, This was a surprisingly effective, effectively horrifying sequence, I thought. It's it's great, but I I do have to back us up because we are introduced to Harrow a little bit earlier in the show. We do see a moment in one of the blackout scenes where he becomes Mark, and he is in a moment, this all happens that I think the chase sequence and all that stuff where he ends up in a field and then he walks down to a little town and there's this kind of cult gathering. And we see Harrow do this moment where he's, he's judging people. Like he's using his little scepter. He has a, like a, a two-headed croc- crocodile scepter mm-hmm. and he's using that. And this woman ends up dying through this power that he's, I guess, transferring with Amit, right? Is it Amit? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and that, while it makes no sense in the moment, it gets explained later on and you suddenly right. go, oh, that's what's happening. Yes. And that's what you're talking about is when he shows up at the museum and confronts who he thinks is Mark Spector, but it's actually Stephen Grant at this moment. Right. Which is, which is a fantastic bit of storytelling because this episode is almost, is probably 99% from the Stephen Grant point of view. It is. And then as we progress through this, we get more and more into telling the story from the other, the points of view of the other personalities that inhabit that particular body. Yes. All right. So when the Jackal corners Grant in the restroom, his reflection in a mirror talks to him and asks to take control of their body. Grant agrees and transforms into a cloaked warrior who kills the Jackal. So one, that's a fantastic reveal for moon knight in costume and then the episode ends that's just perfect for episodic television and the thing that i kind of i kind of noticed but it didn't really consciously click for me until later steven and mark talk in different accents oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah Steven, um, which is that's a tool even, Oscar's using to differentiate between the people. Yeah, Layla brings it up as well. Um, you know, she she says, Mark, like, what are you doing? Like, why are you speaking with this accent when it's Steven in control of the body uh, with his, you know, his his British accent? Uh, no, it's a it's a great tool, actually. And we'll get to this uh, later in the third episode. There's a scene where you see him just staring at a mirror and he's Mark and he's talking. He's like, all right, come on, man, like, just. All right, it's your turn. Just take take over it. Yeah, all right. So let's do this. And then he goes like, just 
like snaps a finger and he goes from that American accent into that English accent. And I thought that was like the coolest scene ever. I was like, that is some great acting right there to just like swap a character immediately like that. Cause it's more than just the accent between Mark and Steven, but uh, to see him do that, that was, uh, yeah, that was impressive. It really is. I know exactly what you're talking about. And and it's building up to that too. What you're talking about, Nico. I love that because everything else is done almost through editing but that moment we finally could see it like live on the fly like he's switching that character right then and there um dave i want to go to the the scene in the bathroom that you're talking about so this jackal moment where we get this jackal that's unleashed on you know basically a very meek and and mild uh stephen grant character um is great because when he's having that moment in the bathroom where the, the, the mirror and the, the, the whole scene is done so well, this is what I really love about the, the filmography of this is how it's shot of the cinematography. The two characters reflecting off of each other are completely opposite. Like they're not doing the same thing what a, a reflection should be doing. And here's this moment where he's trying to convince him. He's, it's almost like he's stuck in another parallel universe, this reflection universe or mirror universe to use the doctor strange uh terminology but i love that there's the struggle and and it's it's down to this moment and i love the way that this this whole scene is shot because you see this terrifying creature who's an egyptian kind of like protector for the gods this jackal going in to just kill and maim and just destroy and the next scene is the way the camera pans out it's the creature who's trying to desperately claw out of the bathroom when he (laughs) <laughs> what we don't see is the transformation yeah. into Moon Knight is now this vicious, violent, you know, god of, of the moon, basically. It's just like, no, you're going to die, pal. And I just love that. It was done so well. Yeah, it went from one of those. It was definitely a, a let me in, let me in, let me, let me out, let me out, let me out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And th- this episode, because of how it, it does the, the personality swaps, we don't really see any of the fighting, right? Like the, this is, yeah. I think this is an effective build on the character. I didn't really understand what was happening at the end of episode one. I, I didn't have this thing figured out at all, at all. But yeah. I was so intrigued and so enjoying it. I couldn't wait to see the next one. And oh, that's, yeah. that's a really, really tough balance to hit as a writer, as a filmmaker. They, I thought it was just very well done. Well, what's we great. didn't even talk about the great intro sequence, which was just uh, Harrow doing all those things that culminates with him pouring a bunch of glass shards into his sandals. And oh, yeah, sandals that yeah. Open, the opening scene, which has like almost zero connotation to the rest of the episode until like yeah. three quarters of the way in when you see Harrow for the first time. Yeah, he just like puts the glass up on the on the desk, puts the 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 cloth over it hits it with that staff yeah and then i had to re-watch that um after watching it the first time and i was like there's the staff that he does the thing with his hands and the balance yeah. and then he pours it in his and so this guy is really he's an interesting character character hero is he's playing the the benevolent you know almost messiah like uh you know persona to the public um but yeah, he's, he's 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 a really dark dude. He, he is. is. And I wanted to talk about it just for a split second, at least, because I think he's he's achieving something that's very, very easy to screw up. Right. It's easy to take that character that you're describing and take it over the top. Mm-hmm. And he is he is very 
subtle, very restrained. Mm -hmm. He he is doing so much more with less in the acting and he's done it consistently across all three episodes. And I, I am so thrilled that they got him for this part to go against what Oscar Isaacs is doing, which is equally as tough and challenging, but for different reasons. Yeah. Um, And we'll, we'll talk about it later. Again, I'm going to call forward because, you know, it's the latest episode that I just watched. And the third episode, we see how calculating this character is as well. How just insanely aware of the situation that he's in and what's going on. Um, And it's kind of crazy. Um, And if we think about it, um, because we we get basically the gist of what he's trying to do uh, at the end of episode one, right? When he's there with with we, Steven. We know he wants the MacGuffin for the doohickey, but we don't understand what the MacGuffin doohickey is going to actually oh, do. Oh, he explains it in episode two. I think, yeah, yeah, I think I think it all, it, it crystallizes in episode two. I, I think... For the end of act one. I, what, what I like about it, his character, besides you saying, Dave, like he's very subtle, and I, I this is Ethan Hawke all, like, 100% is the way he's acting this out is great. But we do get a little bit of his, kind of what he's doing, besides the MacGuffin part, um, with the character of um, Amit, um, which is a, an Egyptian god, one of the nine gods that they, they have. Uh, but that definitely gets more explained in detail in episode two. I do want to say one other thing about that, uh, that moment is we do finally get the reveal of Moon Knight, which is great because the whole episode, the whole show is called Moon Knight. We never see Moon Knight in the entire first episode until the very last, like, seriously, 20 seconds of this thing. And it's brutal, even if it's a CG moment, because, again, this demon dog basically is coming in and it's going to just destroy whatever's in there. And it turns out it's Moon Knight. Steven's character turns into Moon Knight. And that scene of him just hunkering over him and just pounding and pounding and pounding on top of him. We even see like one of the, the sinks get flung out the bathroom. And I'm like, this is not just a beating like in a Marvel movie. This is a brutal beatdown that's happening right here. Yeah, this is a fight for your life. Leave no stone unturned. Yeah. And again, they don't show us most of it. They just kind of show us the effects of it. Right. Yeah. And, you know? that, scene and, that, is, and that, again, yeah. I think that takes a, a bit of courage from the filmmakers to not to be very patient and not turn over the card too early. Yeah, and almost what you see in the trailers prior to this, the previews, you do kind of see that same moment. There's a little bit more, but not much. And like you said, it's a, it's a quick reveal and it's that turn to the camera and walking at you that sets the, the tone and the pace for this whole series, knowing full well that this is not going to be your Spider-Man or a Fantastic Four or whatever else. This is going to be a no friendly neighborhood moon night. <laughs> no, this, is, this is dark. This is going to be dark. All right, so that's so that's episode one. Yeah. So now we come back and it's episode two. Uh, summon the suit. Not nearly as cool as the goldfish problem, but still a nice reference to what's going to happen here. <laughs> so uh, Grant is fired for the damage done to the restroom, as the jackal does not appear on the museum security cameras. That's, can I, can I... that's decidedly inconvenient for our hero. Real quick point, I just want to say this because we have two people on this podcast named Scott and Steve, and the character that the security guy from the museum keeps mistaking Steve for Scott in this thing, and, it, and that happens to me all the time. So I just actually found that a little funny. <laughs> I, I think it's funny too, but it's also a great character bit because again, it just shows like how, how much of a nobody 
Stephen Grant is that like ostensibly his best friend at work doesn't even know his freaking first name. Yeah. 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 Like, it's like such an office moment. Like it's just, it's just something that would happen on that. Him him leaving at the end of the night. Like uh, later, Jimmy. Uh, Yeah. Later, Scott. Um, Yeah. yeah, No, still, still Steve. Still Steve. All right. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So Stephen Grant uses the key card that he found in the previous episode to access a storage locker where he finds the scarab that everybody's looking for. And that kind of glosses over what that storage locker is, which anybody who's a fan of a secret agent movie, like knows what that is. The second he opens it up and walks inside, like that is the offsite location where you store all your secret agent stuff. Oh yeah. So people don't find it when they search your home. Complete yeah. with a go bag with multiple passports and money in different denominations. Cash hey. and guns and yeah. yeah. This, and a, this and a cot is, where you can a cot where you can sleep and yeah. like yeah. move back and forth from personality to personality if you need this, yeah. yeah, this is Mark Spector's lair, basically. This is his spot for everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and it ain't no bat cave. I'll, I'm telling you that right now. The Batman thing has got to got to die off. So any fans that are listening to this right now, all of our friends and fans out there, let's talk real quick one second about this. This storage, when he gets to storage container number 43, that number is important. Um, That number actually ties into, I believe, the first appearance of Moon Knight in a comic book called, oh, goodness. Werewolf by Night was his first appearance. Werewolf by Night, and that is the number of the issue that he first appeared in. Second thing is, it has a QR code on there. Scan it. And if you haven't done it, scan it. And it's one of the coolest QR code hidden Easter eggs in a show yet. So, And and I will say, I liked that one. And and I like the overall fact that Moon Knight, unlike Guardians of the Galaxy, because Guardians Guardians of the Galaxy had Easter eggs that you could trip over. Yeah. Moon Knight doesn't seem like it has a ton of those. Like there, there is, there is some connective stuff and there are Easter eggs here and there, yeah. but it, it's kind of the opposite of WandaVision where they seem to be going out of their way to throw that stuff in wherever they could. Yeah. Whereas here they're being, kind of, they're being very restrained and just kind of, yeah. you know, plopping a couple things in every, every episode for the, the hardcore fans. It's good stuff though. And it's, yeah. it's yeah. stuff that it's not just an e- Easter egg. It actually might have some connection down the road. There is something kind of big coming and dealing with, I think, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 and the holiday special that they're going to be doing. Well, we will see. But to be honest, if it tied into Thor, you like Love and Thunder, that would be pretty cool because I would love to see an Asgardian God and Egyptian God throwdown. But we'll we'll see. I know that that stuff happens in the comic books, believe it or not. But we'll see if that'll happen in, uh, in the MCU. So anyway. He finds the scarab in the go bag. All right. So he finds the MacGuffin and then he speaks with his reflection, which is another identity in Grant's body that introduces himself as American mercenary Mark Spector, the current avatar of the Egyptian moon god Khonshu. I always thought it was a long O, but my bad all these years, it's Khonshu. Apologies to any Egyptian deities that I may or may not have offended with that mispronunciation. And by the way, the guy who voices Khonshu. I swear to God, I thought it was the voice of Optimus Prime for like five minutes. And then I confirmed that it wasn't, but didn't, it sounded a little Optimus Primey in the first episode to me. Uh, I, I, I hear it. Yeah. I think okay. it was one of the, I think it's the effect because it's all like a, like a mental 
connection, right? He's not like voicing anything. He's just forcing his will into Steven's head. So I think that's where you get that that kind of effect from. Um, but it, right. he definitely sounds a bit different later. Yeah, and this was this was also the first time that we really got to see Konshu like close up. Like he has just been the voice. So spooky motherfucker. This is you know this episode was where we finally get to meet him. So. Uh, Grant is then confronted by Layla, Spectre's wife, who is unaware of Grant's existence before being arrested by police officers who work for Harrow. Harrow reveals that he was Khonshu's previous avatar until he chose to follow Amit instead in the hope of preventing future harm rather than simply carrying out vengeance. Yeah. And I, I like that because that was an interesting bit of distinction between gods and motivations. The Khonshu is the, the, you know, the spirit of vengeance, the fist of vengeance, if you will. Well, you only avenge things that, that have happened, right? You're reactive. Mm-hmm. And Amit is proactive. Oh, I've looked ahead and I see that in 10 years, you're going to be, you're going to do this horrible thing. I'm just going to kill you now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's very, it's very Thanos. Isn't yeah. it? It's very, we're going to yeah. kill all the people now that might do something bad later to make the world better. We're going to do this terrible thing to make a better place. Yeah, yes, in, in a way. Yeah, I see it. Uh, yeah, I don't know if Thanos would have been a follower of Amit, but I, I, they absolutely would get together for Sunday brunch. <laughs> yeah. And, and have a lot of commonality. <laughs> so, so a couple little quick notes. Uh, first of all, the voice of Khonshu is by an incredible actor, uh, F. Murray Abraham, who I believe won the Oscar for Amadeus. Was it Amadeus? I, I, I don't know. Hashtag Oscar's so white. I didn't see that movie. <laughs> um, but yes, um, I, I do like the reveal. And I don't think this is the same in the comic books. I'd have, this is something I would have to look up. This is a deep dive that I don't know or don't think has happened. Is that the character... Well, first of all, the character that Ethan Hawke is playing, uh, Harrow, is a extremely is an extremely not used character in the original series he's pretty he's pretty minor it, yeah. it's not as minor as the the guy that jonathan major was playing in loki but it, it's about as minor right so it's just interesting that they were able to pull a character with an actual name from the comics and give them this kind of bigger story i, I give them props for that uh, which leads to this moment where he was the avatar for Khonshu prior to Mark Spector. So this this is going to make some fun, like, playtime here on the show. So I, I can't wait to see where that kind of goes. It, it does. It sets up a motivation for the Mark Spector uh, persona. Yeah. And it, it's an interesting thing that's been bandied around. I keep seeing reports to me that Oscar Isaac is not signed to, to do anything beyond this Moon Knight series. Huh. So if that's true, and we know that Khonshu just kind of has, you know, a, a string of avatars over the years, you know, suddenly that might make sense. Suddenly, you know, oh, Oscar Isaacs, Mark Spector is gone. And now here's a new actor who may also operate under the name of Mark Spector in Moon Knight. Also, there is something that is mentioned in episode two. There is a possible other character that could take on that role. Well, yes, and that's that's where I'm getting to with the, the motivation. So we know Khonshu yeah. has avatars through time who does things who are the, the fist of Khonshu in the mortal world. 
And that's a major difference that he has with the other Egyptian deities. Everybody else is in just an observe mode, and he is the only Egyptian deity that, that still wants to interfere on the mortal plane. Well, or act on the mortal plane, I should say, not interfere. But let's also clarify because we keep talking about vengeance and fists of vengeance and all that stuff. That his his technical title is he's the the lunar Egyptian god, which the vengeance part kind of falls under. He he is not a popular god among the nine uh, gods or entities right. of this this system this this belief or this, whatever this egyptian justice league is what we're yeah calling. basically yeah let's call it that that's cool <laughs> Ooh, neat. that got nico's attention he liked that <laughs> all right sorry just have right. to throw that out there all right so da, 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 da. Yeah. uh harrow explains that he wants to use the scarab to find amit's tomb and resurrect her so that she can purge humanity of evil by wiping out everyone who has or will commit evil deeds which by the way is kind of the plot of Captain America Winter Soldier. If we're just like, because that's what they were doing, right? Is, hey, we're going to launch the helicarriers and they're going to wipe out anybody who could possibly be a threat to us anytime in the future. Yeah. And also to Nico's point, I think this is where that Thanos connection really comes in. Yeah. You know, just that moment. It's like, oh, okay. Uh, and, and, and for people that don't know this or aren't watching the show right now, um, Amit or Amit or however you pronounce it, the god itself looks like a, a trifecta of what? An alligator, a hippo, a dog. and a dog. Yeah. Okay. All right. It has like a dog's front legs, a hippo butt, and an alligator head. Yeah. And the whole, it's... so the whole thing with Amit, I, and I, this is just my remembrance of egyptian history from like the seventh grade um the the <clears throat> the lore is that when you die and you go to the afterlife ama is the one that judges you and they put your heart on a scale and weigh it against a feather to see whether you were good or oh, bad that's right that's and right, then yeah. if it was good and your heart was lighter than the feather then you would get to pass on into the you know the heaven the good afterlife okay. and if you were evil amit would eat your heart and you would be condemned to like basically uh like a hell purgatory a, kind yeah. of a thing okay. like you never got to do or go anywhere or feel satisfied or it wasn't like a hell like burning sulfur and brimstone kind of hell it was okay. just kind of like you had like a pointless existence Okay. kind of a thing um your soul so it was, was like the federal minimum security version of hell <laughs> <laughs> yeah pretty much that's it yeah. yeah which i mean is like honestly as far as it like the bad version of an afterlife you know the hell like yeah. it's not that bad <laughs> that's what i'm saying it's this is like where yeah. you, you, iona sky's dad gets sent in say anything as opposed yeah, to no, you know you're, you're stuck in the dentist's waiting room for all eternity yeah uh, there you go <laughs> that's that's deep and tough all at once nico well done all right so da -da -da. all right layla rescues grant but harrow summons another jackal creature grant manages to summon a suit of his own to fight the jackal but is overpowered and allows specter to take control specter kills the jackal but loses the scarab to harrow 
Khonshu threatens to claim Layla as his next avatar should Spectre fail to stop Harrow before sending Spectre to Egypt. That's a very brief gloss over summary of I probably about a good half, you know, a third to a half of, of the events of that episode. Yeah. But it, it does kind of, you know, Stephen is finally discovering, embracing, oh, there's multiple personalities here. Oh, there is this Egyptian God. Oh, you have this ability to get powers. And he has a weird Moon Knight suit, which I've read I is, love is from the comics. Like it's a character called Mr. Suit, but I don't know if that's true or not, because I've never um, seen that. It's called Mr. Knight. And yeah, it's the Stephen character's version of Moon Knight. And what's interesting in the in the comics, so I do know a little bit about this, but this character, this suit still is powerful uh, and actually is pretty, pretty violent uh, when this character appears in the comics. But this character is more of the detective. This is the one that I think a lot of people were, when they saw it in the trailers, um, which, it, which looks fantastic, by the way. Both suits look amazing. Yeah. yeah. Let's just get that out there because, God damn it. And, and the way it even shows up, like when it's all the, the uh, it almost looks like mummy wraps are like flying over him and, mm-hmm. and just tightening up all over his body. Um, but the Mr. Knight suit in the comics is more of like a detective character that just has some serious violent tendencies. Um, and I think they're straying away from that in the show so far, uh, which I kind of like because it does still have Steven's personality kind of come through when Mr. Knight appears. I love it because Steven's in control of the body at this point and you hear Mark's in his head and Conchu and they just keep telling him, summon the suit, summon the suit, summon the suit. Yeah. Steven's never seen the Moon Knight suit. He doesn't know what the Moon Knight suit is supposed right. to be. And that's why he gets the three piece with the tie <laughs> and just like some random face covering mask. Yeah. And I think that's hilarious. And it's great because it is so true to that character. He's clueless in yeah. the situation. And I just keep telling him, summon the suit, summon the suit. Well, what's a suit to a guy who doesn't know what the superhero suit is supposed to look mm-hmm. like? It's a three-piece. Right. He's got gloves and some, <laughs> you know, little loafers. It's great. I think it's hilarious. It is. It really is. Um, I do. I do like how they strayed from the comic and kept the personality tied to that suit and how, like you said, Nico, how it's summoned. So I, I'm really fascinated to see how that character is going to come about. We do see it more in action in episode three. So I'm. I'm really interested in i i love the balance between mr knight suit and the actual moon knight suit so i'm I, at first i was kind of like how many personalities are we going to see here and now we're we're getting some serious personalities so yeah i'm, I'm happy with yeah. it. And, and one thing just to build on that marvel studios has shown a near unerring sense of judgment on when to stick to the source material and when to vary from the source material. Yeah. And they're they're absolutely staying true to form with it in this in this series at this point. Yeah, they know how to handle it. They know yeah. how to handle the material. And I think they're doing a bang up job. So yeah. So the the episode ends, and this is what I kind of talked about earlier with the motivation. Mark Spector is motivated because his wife, Layla, is favored by Conchu to take over the role of Moon Knight. And Mark doesn't want that because he's protective of Layla. So he is compelled to complete this mission at all costs to anyone, including Steven or the other personalities that share the body to protect Layla. Uh, 
also just shows that Khonshu is capable, like I said, of, of putting anybody in that suit. And he references later on that's a suit with healing powers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is which probably explains why uh, Moon Knight is able to take the beating that he does. Uh, that yeah. he's able to put anybody in the suit and have that be his, his fist in the mortal plane. So there's, also, there's there's a lot in play here that can happen. Th- there is, and this and this episode does end in a way where he has to he figures out that he doesn't have the scarab, so he has to go track him down into Egypt. So they end up heading that direction. But I will say, what's interesting is we get the point of view like he doesn't want uh, Khonshu to take over Layla, like he and but we don't really get to know why. And so what's really fascinating is that that's another mystery thrown into this mix. There's a lot of mysterious stuff happening here. It's not just it's one true. thing. It, it's true. It could just be what my assumption is and that he's being protective towards his wife could just be that, or it could be something else being kind of hidden in plain sight. Cause I, I suspect most people are making the assumption that I am, that it's just him being protective of his wife, but there could be a completely different motivation there that they haven't revealed yet. Well, and, and we'll get to that in just a second, but also take into note that in these two episodes, Dave, we've also seen Layla show up. We do have the confrontation. She's not understanding who Steven's character is, and she's there to present Mark with divorce papers. So something else is going on in that relationship. There's a lot going on with all these characters, and they all seem to be connected in some way, shape, or form. So I, I, I love the dynamics of this show. It's, it's deep. It's not just one single story that's being told here. All right. So that's, that's episode one and two. And that'll take us to episode three uh, called The Friendly Type, which just dropped today. We're recording on April 13th. No guarantee on when the show will go up, but we're recording on April 13th. Uh, episode three, heroine's followers discover the location of Amit's tomb. And by the way, I have to say they do it using the scarab as a three-dimensional compass. And if real actual compasses work that way, you'd get a hell of a lot more people signing up to be in the Boy Scouts. Yeah, you that would. was the That was damn cool watching that effect. Love yeah, that. Was. <laughs> All right. In Cairo, Spectre and Grant both experienced several unusual blackouts while tracking down a lead to Harrow's location. After they fail to obtain information from Harrow's followers, Khonshu causes a solar eclipse to call for a council of the Egyptian gods and their avatars, who summon Spectre to a chamber inside the Great Pyramid of Giza. And yes, that is a lot. It sounds like a lot, and that <laughs> is... Yeah. That, that is a lot. Uh, the unexplained, the unusual blackouts were... were they were the two personalities are fighting for control of the body, much like the, the fairies at the end of Cinderella are fighting for color of her dress. Mm-hmm. It's just popping back and forth. And that's actually one of the more unusual and effective uh, fight sequences that you will find in films. Just as it, it flops back and forth between the two perspectives. Mm-hmm. But we get Ganshu finally calls for, and I believe this was at Mark's request. Uh, a, a meeting of the gods to talk about this to try to head off what Amit's, you know, uh, avatar basically is doing here on the planet. So we get to meet all these other Egyptian gods, including Isis uh, or Isis and uh, Horus, I think, was there and a few others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, we didn't get all um, nine of them. I think we got about five of them. So the yeah, other I think they had, were- a, they had a quorum. I don't think it was a complete membership meeting. Yeah. I think one of the cool things that we get to see here too is we find out that um, 
um, shoot, uh, Kanshu kind of has a love interest going on with one of the gods that maybe not all the gods are so against, uh, against Kanshu being around. Hmm. Yeah, no, that was, that's, and that's always a fun dynamic to see in a, a decision-making group because the group will always tend to make a decision and the group will always tend to support the decision of the group. But obviously there are going to be conflicting or even opposing views there and how those play out in a group dynamic. So that made me, that made me feel good in the moment. Like, oh, that's actually a realistic portrayal of, of how that would work. There's probably going to be at least one person who is, is sympathetic, even if they're going to go along with what the majority feels. Mm-hmm. And yes, it was it, it was ISIS, I think, wasn't it? I think so. I think that was the yeah. the, the girl that talks to him at the mm-hmm. end before. So I have a I have a this is where I mean this whole thing is just basically us summarizing and talking about how much we love it. I want to talk about something in, in this episode that I found really interesting, and I think it means something. And it, it, I'm not going to criticize it, but I'm just curious if the reason that Stephen or Mark Spector is in this meeting. Is because he is a, a uh, avatar for. Um, sorry, I got I got a cat screaming in the background, guys. I'm so sorry. Um, Can't you? Did somebody else pick up for a second? I gotta I gotta take this cat out. <laughs> well, that sure. sounded ominous. I'm not yeah. sure the Egyptians. Uh, I believe treated cats as deities, so I'm not sure they're going to appreciate that, Scott. Yeah. Careful. You, with might, that. you might have a little conchu action coming your way here. You might get some into the Great Pyramid. Dear God, if I if I had the the crescent moon scepters on my chest, I start flinging them all over the place. Um, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, yeah. So my my thing is this: if the reason he's there is because he is the vessel or the avatar for Conchu, and the other ones that show up are also gods like Isis and Horus and all of those. Um, the, what I found re- very fascinating was. Uh, uh, Ethan Hawke's character is not a vessel anymore. And yet he found a way through a portal to get into this meeting. He is not Amit's vessel at this point. Mm-hmm. And he is, he is previously Khonshu's uh, avatar or vessel. So does that mean he just knows how when things like uh, portals show up, how to get over there or so I'm curious as to why he was there to debate this moment and make Mark Spector look so bad. How was he invited to this meeting when everybody else had that invitation? Oh, well, he was invited because he was named. He was, yeah. Um, he, yeah, they called him out as a, you know, basically. Uh, did, did they call him? The dam. That were, yes, yeah, yes. Con- yes. Conchu Con- Con- said Con- his name and said he's trying to awaken Amit. He's trying to do this thing. That's why I called you all here. Because they all asked him, like, what Like, what are you doing? Why are you calling us here? Okay. I must have I missed that part then. All all right. Right. It, it's okay. But they were all like, bro, we told you to lose our number and you called us and we're here. What's the deal? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, Hera, this guy Harrow is trying to awake Amit, who we've already banished. Well, let's talk to him. Yeah. Boom, pluck. There he As, is. Especially because uh, they, they all know him. They all know who he is. Okay. All you right. Know? Yeah, it's your it's your last crazy ex-girlfriend, Conch. We we know who Harrow is. All <laughs> yeah. right. All right. Yeah, very interesting. All right. So Kanshu and Spectre attempt to inform the gods of Harrow's plan to free Amit, 
but the latter successfully denies the accusation when summoned. So Wikipedia agrees with Nikos and my interpretation. Okay. Uh, the avatar of the Egyptian goddess Hathor, Yatsil tells Spectre to find the sarcophagus of a Medje who knew, who knew of the location of Amit's tomb. He later encounters Layla, who takes him to meet with Anton Mogart, an acquaintance of Layla who owns the Medje's sarcophagus. Okay. This is a fascinating moment because when they do take the little boat ride over to meet this person who has the sar- sarcophagus, uh, there is a conversation that happens in here where they do reference a uh, um, Falcon and Winter Soldier uh, moment on the TV show. And they talk oh, about really? they talk about Madripoor and Madripoor was very much featured in that um that series oh yeah that name was familiar and i didn't yeah. realize where it was from so that in, that's and interesting if, if you do know the comics there's a lot of history in madripoor and i just found that very fascinating that there is a connection and it's dealing with art and it's dealing with these relics and stuff and the person that we know from the series that was that person was oh my goodness i'm gonna forget her name <laughs> a- a- emily vanderkamp from everwood but I, I'm bl- Agent Agent Carter's daughter. Right, right. Sharon, Sharon Carter. Yes, Sharon Carter. Thank you. Yes. So I, I love that little moment. It's a little, that's your Easter egg, but I think it's more. I think there's a connection there because we see a lot of her at the end of that series spawning off into a possible new series coming down the road. So I like how all of these have these little connections, it's just like the comic books. So. Hmm. And, and that this whole sequence was, again, kind of a, a highlighting the conflict that's existing within the body of, of Mark Spector and Stephen Grant, where the two personalities are, are really jockeying for control. This episode was very much Stephen Grant is in control and, and uh, excuse me, was that Mark Spector is in control and Stephen Grant is kind of, out, you know, outside looking in, trying to get control, kind of a, a flip for what the dynamic was on the first episode. Yeah. And here it's about trying to convince, you know, Mark Spector trying to convince Stephen, we need to work together. Can you help me with some of these things, like figuring out these puzzles? Like that is something that Stephen Grant is legit good at doing. It's figuring out a puzzle. Stephen Grant also has an enormous amount of of knowledge about Egyptian mythology and lore. And they established that in the first couple of episodes that he really, he knows as much as the, the tour guides and perhaps as much as a curator might about certain aspects of Egyptian mythology. Yeah, I, I think that's what's wonderful about this episode. And yes, you're right. That's one of the first things he's talking to his boss in the first episode are the nine Egyptian gods that are part of that little group that he mentions. I just can't remember the specific name of it. Yeah, he uh, says that the, the marketing team got one of the names wrong or they were missing somebody from like one of the posters for a new something that was opening up. It's all right. Yeah. It was probably Ezra Miller. He's probably getting cut out of the, the Justice League anyway, so it, it'll be fine. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, but that, that was a, that's a dynamic that's going on throughout the whole sequence that's being talked about here. And then, of course, the whole thing goes south and we get, I, I, you know, a real legit human-on-human fight scene with Moon Knight. I mean, it, yeah. it's one thing to, to have a character fight you know, the, the mythical jackal or whatever. And it's like, okay, yeah, they're powerful and they're cool and they're, they're fighting this, this big bad and they're beating it. And that's all well and good. I feel like you start to get a sense of how good a fighter someone is when they're fighting human on human, right? Like 
do we do we care that Captain America went toe to toe with Thanos as much as the time he was in the elevator with like seven other eight, seven other mortal human agents and kicked all of their asses when he was handcuffed to the freaking elevator and only had one arm at yeah. one yeah. point in the fight like that. I just feel like we tend to judge people more against a situation we feel like we could actually relate to. Yeah. Yeah, because if you think of if you think of the Moon Knight suit as a multiplier of who's wearing it, right? It makes you stronger, and you get to see who and and what he you know who he is and what he's capable of, um, as you know just just himself. Uh, it's really cool to see that. I, I also like the fact that there are a lot of humans in this fight, uh, and I'm just gonna name them as I see uh, see fit in this. A lot of them were red shirts. A lot of them. The, the good majority of them, I'm going to call red shirts. But there were a couple stronger, more powerful characters, like the main guy who's the friend that they're introducing and, and kind of showing the sarcophagus and his immediate bodyguard. Those two were very strong characters. And you see this great moment where it's not just Moon Knight that's fighting. It's Moon Knight, Mark Spector, and it's Mr. Knight, and it's uh steven grant my god this is going to be a tough show to <laughs> review with all the names but i, I know, love you, yeah yeah you have to think really carefully about how are you referring to the thing that you're talking uh, about and my god if they really are introducing another one of the personalities it's gonna be a nightmare talking about this but the mr i love the mr knight moment when he takes over He's almost like a gentleman, but he's still powerful. And seriously, in the books, he is pretty violent. So I love the moment where you do see one of the, the batons or the sticks just come flying through his body. I'm like, oh, shit, this is going to get mm -hmm. real, real fast. And when he switches to the Moon Knight character and they're just like pegging him down at one point, I think they've got a stake through his hand going into the ground. They've got multiple poles coming through his back at some point and it, it looks pretty harsh like pretty bad for him no it it does he he looks like a, a pin cushion there but you know he's the hero the suit has healing powers and he yes. does he does find a way to make it happen spoiler alert for everybody <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but the suit this like i said the suit has some healing powers so like like a wolverine almost yeah by the way, Daniel Radcliffe just on appearance would be a fantastic choice for for Logan and Wolverine, but that's a, Ooh, another conversation for another time. Oh, I, yeah, we need to explore that for sure. Okay. All right. So the meeting goes awry when Harrow arrives and destroys the sarcophagus, forcing Spectre, Grant, and Layla to fight Mogart's men and escape into the desert. Grant is able to assemble a set of fragments from the sarcophagus into an ancient star map, but the map is two thousand years out of date. Yeah, which which makes sense when you think about it. Right. I mean, they explain it on the show, but yeah, stars drift a little bit. So if somebody made a star map, you know, 2000 years ago, it's not going to line up with the night sky today because the stars are going to look just different enough that you're not going to be able to do it. So in a very cool effect, Khonshu uses his power to briefly turn back the night sky to resemble the map, allowing Grant and Layla to find the location of Amit's tomb. And one of my favorite bits in the episode was that he, when he turned the night sky back, he turned the night sky back everywhere on the planet. And we got mm. to see kind of those reaction shots around Egypt of, hey, the night sky is, is evolving and just rotating backwards over and over and over and over again until we get to this different looking, different looking sky. 
That, of course, gets the attention of the gods, and the Egyptian gods imprison Khonshu in stone, which was a really cool effect where he gets imprisoned in this, this stone chess piece that gets yeah. put inside the, the Great Pyramid of, of Giza. And his last words to Stephen Grant were, tell Mark to save me. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, this whole sequence is fantastic. And what I love is they set it up for us. So the first thing we get is before when they summon the meeting is that Khonshu is not in good standings. And we already know this because it's been mentioned um, in previous episodes. Um, and this, this whole moment where he's like, well, I can do something to gather their attention. And that's by creating that eclipse earlier. So by doing certain things, he's been banished. It brings the attentions of, of the other gods. And in this case, he's doing something that's probably not too favorable with them. So that's, that's what I'm assuming is why he's getting banished into the stone statue uh, or encased in it. But I love the effect. I love what happens when he backs everything up. It's basically this wonderful, almost like Superman, the movie, when he's flying yeah. backwards. Did you yes, feel that way? Exactly. Oh, God, I totally felt that way. Yeah. Uh, but with way crazier effects. And I just loved seeing the three of them there and having these weird moments. Also, I loved when Khonshu gets banished completely and he's dissolving into the statue. What a traumatic effect it has on uh, Mark Spector at that moment. And, or, or wait, was it Stephen Grant at that moment? <laughs> I can't remember which one <laughs> was standing there. Who's but, who? Yes. Who was, are you? I loved it. And I love that they get that. They kind of get the answer right there. It just, it was so good. God, that moment was cool. So the Wikipedia summary here concludes with, uh, however, Conchu is then imprisoned by the other gods, leaving Grant's inspector's body unconscious and powerless, which pleases Harrow. And I don't know that there was anything to indicate that they were powerless with Conchu's imprisonment, but that would make a certain amount of sense if the powers yeah. flow from Conchu and Conchu no longer has access to the plane, are they just now ordinary human beings? And if yeah. they are just ordinary human beings without access to the suit, how are they gonna make this work? And that's that would be a great kind of act to like make it really dark and hopeless before we get to the conclusion of act three. It would be a great act two moment if that's actually what happens. Yeah, which sets up, they say it right at the end, have Mark come and save me. It's the only way he's going to get to what he needs to get to in the, at the end of this and, and stopping Harrow and uh, Amit. So very curious to see where this is going. Didn't expect that. I did not expect that at all. I didn't either. And that, that concludes our very broad recap of the first half of the Moon Knight series. Man, wow. these series just keep getting shorter and shorter. I expect like 12, 10 episodes, and then it's like we get one that's like eight episodes, and it's like, all right, fine, but they're, you know, some of them are like 45 minutes or an hour almost, and it's like, okay, yeah, now we're going to get six episodes, and they're, you know, somewhere between 30 and 40 minutes. It's like, man, they're so good. I want more. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm with you too. I would, I would take more, but by the same token, if they're telling a story and it, it takes six episodes, I'm fine with that. I would rather have something that's really fantastic and, and is exactly the length it needs to be rather than 
them trying to expand it, which I will say I think is a flaw of the major publishing companies' uh, strategies over the last 20 years, is they will take a, a project that maybe is a three-issue project and make it a six-issue project. And it just, it kills the effectiveness and joy of the story because there's an extra 60 pages there that really don't need to be there. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's like the complete opposite of what Peter Jackson did with The Hobbit. You know, don't take a, you know, a 200 page book and turn it into a nine hour epic film. It's Fuck. just ridiculous. So, yeah, that was a little much. <laughs> I, I, I really do appreciate that Marvel can take this and again, treat the properties with complete respect while still adding some elements of their own to it. I think that is the true genius of Kevin Feige and this whole company. Um, I, I know I rip on Disney for a lot of things, but I think Disney kind of just standing back and saying, hey, we trust you guys. I don't know, maybe those 24, 25 films and how many TV series. And oh, and you know what? While we're at it real quick, can I just give a major shout out again to Disney Plus bringing in all the Netflix series uh, for the, all the Marvel shows that were on Netflix? Fantastic to see them all in one spot. And I, I've been re-watching the Daredevil series. So it's just, God, that show is so good. So good. No, ma major props to finally getting that stuff kind of all, all where it belongs, which has kind of been Disney's mission, right? Is let's get all the Marvel product back under one, uh, yeah. one banner here. Uh, fun fact about Moon Knight from the comics. Uh, do you know who actually made all of the weapons that Moon Knight uses that he, he throws at people to see what happens. Oh God. Uh, it, it wasn't the character that, that gold character. No. Oh, I can't, I can't remember now. Oh shit. It was Hawkeye. Oh my God. Mm. That's right. And yeah. Hawkeye, wait a minute. And Hawkeye was a member of the West coast Avengers also, right? Yep. The, the, the great, West Coast Avengers epic Lost in Space Time, written by one of my favorite Avengers writers, Steve Englehart. Uh, the event, the West Coast Avengers get stuck with a time machine that only goes backwards. So they decide to go back to Ramatut's time to try to meet up with the Fantastic Four who were stuck in Ramatut's time in ancient Egypt, who yeah. had a working time machine to try to hitch a ride home. And they wind up meeting, you know, Conchu's servants at the time, and Hawkeye helps them defend the temple and crafts them a bunch of weapons to use that become the, the ancient weapons that Mark Spector Moon Knight uses in the present Marvel's uh, universe time. Oh my god. What a trip. If they start throwing that stuff in, I swear I'm going to freak out. <laughs> could, could happen. Never know what's going to happen. It could so, happen. That, that is our Moon Knight extravaganza episode. We will be doing additional episode singular or episodes plural to talk about the rest of the series uh just depends on how life continues to treat the wretched hive podcast over the next couple of weeks but we will not leave you hanging we will conclude the whole episode one way or another uh and also this is our first time getting together since the will smith slap and i just want to congratulate everybody we didn't talk about it tonight's episode so congrats for us for staying away from that shit show good job three of us All right. yeah for sure right we rule <laughs> and by the way, can you imagine what would have happened if he had asked if the drapes matched the carpet? I mean, it would have just been absolute <laughs> chaos. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, Dave, you're gonna gonna get canceled. Can, can I we know. Just throw, gonna throw edit me right out of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey! By the way, uh, 
you know, we did an awesome job. I, I'm so glad the three of us finally got to do all this together. But I do want to just put a shout out to the universe. Hey, Florida, don't keep Steve. I don't know what dark, deep secrets or whatever you guys have going on. Just send them back. Just spit them back out eventually to us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just just like that creature and Dagobah spit out R2-D2, please return Steve Baldwin to us. <laughs> oh, my God. All right, so if, if we had sound effects or a soundboard, which none of us here do, you wouldn't be hearing the end credit music going at this yeah. point. Uh, but we don't right now, so we're just going to have to pretend. I wonder if we can just drag this out and see how well Steve's got the timing down to where he can just throw it up to where it ends at the end of our recording. I, you know, I think Steve could probably do it, but we do have to have some, like, cue for when the end is for him to, like, reverse engineer it. Okay. All right, fine. Should we do that I don't, now? I don't know where that's going to be, <laughs> but uh, any any closing thoughts from either of you gentlemen as we go around here? Nico, any closing thoughts for uh, for the, the episode here? Uh, free Steve Baldwin. Free Steve Baldwin. Yes, absolutely. Mr. Evansky. I'm, I'm excited for the next three episodes. Um, damn good series. Oscar Isaacs is amazing in this. And uh, and we got so much more to talk about coming up. We still haven't even talked about Spider-Man. My God, what is going on? We, we haven't. I, I, I definitely do want to talk about Spider-Man. It just came out on, on home video, I think, this week. So we should be able to make that happen at some point. Uh, it's just a matter of, you know, everybody being available. Oh, oh, and there is a final... Um, a doc, a Doctor Strange a Multiverse of Madness trailer that just came out a couple days ago. Yeah, I'm not spending two hours talking about that. It added like seven seconds of new footage. I'm not, I'm not doing it. <laughs> not fucking happening. You obviously haven't seen YouTube, my friend. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, They're out I, there. I, yo, I'm, I'm old. I don't go on to YouTube. What is this YouTube you speak of? I, I hear the, the YouTubes are amazing. That's all I'm saying. All right. And that is, that'll be all for us. We hope that you will join us again uh, for our next episode, wherever, whenever, however that will be. And until then, may the force be with us all. <laughs>